1: Hugh sign a world-renowned graphic artist with the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business.
2: Oh, yeah. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And also Hugh sign How's it going, Hugh?
3: Very well, thank you, Andrew. How are you?
2: I'm great. Good to see you both, as always. Today's guest on the Music Buzz podcast is Carlene Carter. Yes, come on! Carleen is an American country music singer and songwriter, and is also the daughter of June Carter Cash and Carl Smith, and granddaughter of Mother Maybelle Carter, of the original historic Carter family. Since 1978, Carter has recorded 12 albums, I think that's the right number, including her latest Carter Girl, And more than 20 singles, including three number threes on the Billboard Country Music Charts. Welcome to the Music Buzz Podcast, Carlene Carter.
0: I am honored to be on the Buzz, the Music Buzz Podcast. Thank you.
4: We are honored to have you. Absolutely. This is the first time I've interviewed a good friend like this on Music Buzz Podcast. So, and I'm happy it's you. Are you scared? I'm frightened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but I do got, I got a lot of notes here that I wrote cause I thought you deserved it. So first off, here's my list of, I think it ended up, it was going to be 15 essential Carleen Carter songs and I think it's 25, but uh, so uh hang on, hold on now, pull up a cup of coffee. Is it here. the
0: one that did I say on yours?
4: I didn't even put that on there, but I, I was going to mention it. No, actually though, I'll start out with that one, uh, rebel town that was yes. kind of just a demo. At the time, and we were out on the road, and you sang in, in a hotel room, and it ended I know, up I end know, I think I had record. my jammies on. I, you might have, and yes. uh, I think so. And I remember, I think it was in Canada, maybe.
0: I don't remember where we were. All I know is that I, I love recording in hotel rooms in my pajamas. I just want to say that straight <laughs> up, okay?
4: Well, I don't, I, if, if you've never tried it, folks, it is fun. It's a good time. <laughs> so here we go. Easy from now on. A hit for Emily Lou Harris of 78, also covered by lots of other gals, uh, including Miranda Lambert, who said it all. Cha ching! A ridiculously good song and cha ching, <laughs> but your verse is the best. Thank you. Every little thing. Killer song that went to number three in 1993.
0: Can I just interject really quickly? You keep
4: interjecting. Please. You know, all yes. these
0: number threes. You want to know why I never got past number three? Because why? Garth jumped my ass every single time. Garth Brooks. Jumped me with I got friends in low places when I had out oh. I fell in love. They were saying, Oh, you're going in number one next week and then Garchis went bam right over me. Same thing again. Every time I was on the charts, because he and I have parallel careers in some way. But he had a hat and he was a guy.
4: I tell you what, he, we need to give him a good talking to about that.
0: We love we love him though. We love old Garth.
4: No, he's good.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that No, was that's important.
4: okay. Well, oh so what did I say? Oh, every little thing. Now also people that know that song i mean almost everybody's heard that it mentions the young and restless soap opera and it shows how timeless the song is it's this (laughs) the young and restless is still going after 97 years there'll be keith richards and the young and restless left uh, (laughs) after armageddon
0: or there'll be Dane clark and carly
4: (laughs) carter (laughs) is that right going who okay anyway (laughs) i fell in love a great song Kind Of a little feet kind of a groove, listeners, you need to check that one out. I'm sure you've That's heard it. That's anyway. an Albert Lee special. That's Albert playing. No wonder it's so badass. My Dixie Darling classic country song. And here's a batch of tunes that maybe not everybody's heard. If they go back to that, I love that musical Shapes record with the rock pile, Cry. Oh, yeah, I thought it was NRBQ. It's, it's NRBQ meets Little Village or the band that Ty had, had when it had Keltner and those and uh, those guys. Baby Ride Easy, cool song, great song. Yeah, with song.
0: Dave Edmonds.
4: Yep. Madness, which has the snare thing on the all fours on the chorus. It's a great rocking tune. And really cool, Appalachian Eyes. It kind of reminds me of The Birds or Forever Changes, Era Love meets the Carter family or something.
0: Well, you know, I wrote that with John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers. Okay. And that song is about the what happened between Sarah Carter and A.P. Carter when they split up and she was having an affair with AP's first cousin, Coy. And I wanted to write a song about how AP pined for her for years, Mm. although she didn't have blue Appalachian eyes. It's just, you don't want to say brown Appalachian eyes. It doesn't seem as well, but it was about that. And most people don't know that. Wow. But so McPhee and I wrote that in a hotel on the same night we wrote one step closer for the Doobie brothers
4: right that was a yeah. big hit for them back in i don't know about 1980 or something what which record was
0: that on Oh, uh, it was called one step closer was the album yeah so i had well, the time i've done really good with that i get lots of titles <laughs> not okay. title songs
4: that's great yeah and you can't beat that well so you guys wrote two in one night that's a yeah ching and a ching ching come ching-ching. on now. yeah that's fabulous okay I'll, I'll get back on my list okay Okay, on that same record, Too Bad About Sandy. It sounds like a long-lost animals tune from the mid-60s or something. I love it.
0: I was in an animalistic state then. <laughs> okay. Do you know what that sounds about?
4: No, but you're going to tell us. My
0: sister, after I got divorced from my second husband, my stepsister married my ex-husband, and it's, it's, that's what it's about. Ah. Her name is Cindy, and I was advised by my mom to change the name to something else because Uh. daddy, big John would not be happy. (laughs) Ah, so
4: Sandy's pretty close to Cindy. Close enough. Yep,
0: And Cindy actually loved it. So when she was leaving him six months after they got married, she played it to him all the time in the house. (laughs)
4: <laughs> that's a nice turn of events yeah. wow
0: no one knows that story so much
4: but now hmm. they do though that's what this is all about today that's right this is right. fantastic okay we've never had a guest that would interject like this with all these wonderful tidbits well so. you
0: you know i interject yeah. well yeah come on
4: <laughs> okay so now from little acts of trees and change stunning song great one thank you yeah it's it's beautiful the Bitter End. You used to start with that one
0: sometimes. Yes. I think Andy York used to say, I just can't get over that. <laughs> like, My guitar playing on it. It's so fearless and so kind of like funky. The way I play it, live oh, yeah. is different than the record. Um, oh, no
4: question. Indigo Sunset and Damascus Road.
0: My two favorite songs ever, just so you know.
4: Well, they are great songs.
0: I still do them in every set. Awesome. Yeah.
4: Lastly, the entire Carter Girl record, hailed by critics as a masterpiece and quote unquote really quite perfect. It certainly is. It's an essential album from an essential artist, right here. Thank you. Everyone run out and get this now, but you don't have an autograph copy of it like I do, folks.
0: No, so. you have autographs of other pictures too that no one has. I do. In our Burger King, um, <laughs> Burger King, okay. um, crowns. crowns. We had crowns on and we were the king and queen of whatever airport we were in. We were
4: in some airport (laughs) bored out of our skulls. And I went and got a couple crowns and we're (laughs) saying,
3: I think you missed one gorgeous song and that is stronger. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, thank you.
3: That's a beautiful song. That is a beautiful song.
0: Thank you so much. That was one of those songs that when I wrote it, it really helped heal my heart because it's about the loss of my little baby sister. Well, she wasn't little, but she's my baby sister. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And when I wrote that song, I suddenly felt better. It just helped my grief. And so I think that songwriting for me has always been a process to the next place, you know, either to getting past grief or coming to terms with grief or getting over some asshole or, uh, you know, to be anything. It's remarkable
4: that you've embraced so many different kinds of music and styles. I, I love the phrase I was looking through cowpunk. They coined that phrase for your first record. I'd never heard that one before, but it was kind of new wave cowpunk. Uh, you've done mainstream country, pop, roots rock, back porch, Appalachian, and seemingly without effort, you deliver all of them and you still sound like you.
0: I would appreciate that because those are all things that are a big part of me. And I never wanted to have any rules about being an artist.
2: So I got to ask, where did you get connected with John? Is there a history for years there? Did it come, you know, when did you guys get connected there?
0: We circled around each other in bizarre ways since we both started. It was, mm-hmm. I remember going to pop radio and John having just been there to go visit. and And same with me. And so we kind of like kept thinking, I'm going to meet this guy. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But someday we're going to be. I just knew. And plus, I I really admired him as a songwriter and as an entertainer. He's a freaking phenomenal entertainer. He shows up and does his stuff. And and he's always got like the best band ever. Mm -hmm. But what happened was John asked me. We're managed by the same person, but Randy Hoffman would never have said to John, hey, take Carlene on the road with you. And not in a million freaking years, but somehow or another, it came about that that John heard I had a new record out and suddenly went, hey, I'm, they're giving me all these names of peoples to come out on the road and play these fair dates. And it was like in 2014. Mm, yeah. And he said, I just he, so he said to Randy, why don't we just get Carlene? And then the next thing I know, I'm getting called to come and sing on this, um, on a song for a set for um, Ithaca. Ghost Brothers? No, Ithaca. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot then that. Ghost Brothers happened. And that's when Dane and I became such good friends. So that was my induction into being a part of the Mellencamp camp camp okay. family. And um, so what John said to me one day are you excited about next year? And I was like, "Yeah, I'm excited because I'm always excited, y'all. You know that." <laughs> and um, and he said, "No, I mean about coming on the road with me for." And I, I said, "I am." And he's going, "Yes, 80 days." And I was like, "80 days? I haven't worked 80 days in like a decade. <laughs> um, I used to work 800 days, in a day. <laughs> but." So it worked out that that's what happened. And so, like, I went out on the Ghost Brothers tour, and then we proceeded to start up the um, Plain Spoken tour.
4: Well, when you're on the road like we have been, you do figure out the true essence of people pretty quickly. And I've never met anybody as good-natured, good-spirited, or just plain fun as this one right here. So you, always, you made those traveling days enjoyable, no matter what else might have been happening in your life at the time. So God bless you for all that. And I do really hope we can do that again. I do too. I know we're going to hang out and write some songs and stuff. You know, come on
0: down. I have a nice house with the extra bedrooms.
2: Obviously with your family history and looking over all the special guests you've had, you know, it's a who literally who's who that's been on your records and
4: stuff. No question.
2: You know, when you're, is a lot of that just by virtue of people you connect with over the years? Do you kind of single people out like, man, I really want to go after Vince Gill. I really want to go after Willie Nelson. I mean, how does that work in your world? Because I, I I just got to believe you just, you know, you, you would be able to probably get most people to work with you if you wanted to.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. Some of them I've known for a long time and they're my friends. And I very rarely do that kind of thing where I say, please come do this with me. Right. Because I feel like it's like I'm not trying to use my friendship to do that. It's like if there's a reason that I feel they really belong there, I can say this is why I need you here and they'll come. But then there have been people that I admire that I want to work with that I hire. I hired the entire band of NRBQ so that I could meet them.
4: Nice. That's
0: great. They came and they sang. on. What a great band. Yeah. I know they just came insane on a song. They was like, you don't want us to play. it. I was like, no, I just want you to come in my house and sing. <laughs> and that's what they did. And it was on a song called, I love you because I want to. And that's in our on there. But through that, I met Al Anderson, the guitar player that was in our BQ then. And he and I wrote the song, every little thing. Our first song we ever wrote was that song. Wow. And w- I've written more songs with Al Anderson than anyone else that I know. We clicked perfectly. He always showed up with exactly what was on my mind. He would show up with an idea or usually a riff and a music or a line. And it would just be right where I was at. And so that was a very special connection that he and I have had. And it's almost like we haven't done it in a while together because I don't want to be disappointed because every single time for many years, it always worked. And sometimes I think you just have to take that and go, I'm so glad. I would love to think that it would be the same. Uh, Okay, Sheila E. Hello. right, Sheila E. I love Sheila E. I wanted her to be on one of my records. So I hired her to play percussion and congas on a song. And when she came, she said, honestly, I had no, why did you hire me? Why me? And I said because you're Sheila E. and I adore you. And she was like, well, I didn't know what to expect. I thought there were going to be like hay bales everywhere, and you know, i never been hired to play on hay bales. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the drums are behind the hay bales.
0: <laughs> she was awesome, awesome, awesome. She's a great and player. So that has been something that I have done because you know what. You're, you If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah.
3: So I ask. That's, That's true. Yeah. So I have to ask you, I look at your covers and and it's no question why, you know, the Judds and the people in your genre of music feature themselves on covers. I mean, great subjects make great pictures. I mean, there's, there's that to be said about you looking as good as you do on covers. Are you drawn to covers that are conceptual or do you, because you like singer songwriters, are you generally picking up albums that have got, you know, uh, John Prine
0: on the cover or. Hyatt on the cover or well I used to buy records because of the covers I bought my first country record because it was the flying burrito brothers and they were in Uh, movie suits and I thought they were cute and I didn't even know they were country Mm -hmm. so that was how I bought my very first country record myself I knew about um I loved album covers I knew all about the artists uh the the, the um, photographers and the art directors, I, lo- I miss the aspect of what we had back in the day of going to Tower Records and buying everything that was coming out and couldn't wait for new records to come out and going home and just scanning the entire album and playing. And, and I still to this day, it's like if you keep me in a certain genre, I'll tell you to play bass on something.
3: you know it's like i
0: just love that part of it and i knew who wrote the songs and that that's what really interested me was who were these songwriters like jd salver sure warren zevon i mean there was like there was a few of them that didn't that nobody knew were good artists until later but i mean i i was a kid of the of the sixties and seventies, and I paid attention to that. And I remember getting the Rolling Stones one with the three D.
4: Their Satanic Majesties' request. Satanic
0: Majesty. I yep. took that home, and I thought I was going to get like, ooh! I was like twelve. <laughs> I was like, I was so into it, and I read every single little word on there. I knew everything that you could know, wow. and I did that always. And I did that even as a kid, a little kid, when I could read. I I had Ray Stevens records. Because I thought he was funny.
4: He was funny. Ahab,
0: the Arab, the Kena of the Burnett, Sheikah of the Burnett Sand. It's like I needed to know who played that stuff. I knew who um, Boots Randolph was. Nobody as a kid that I knew gave a hoot about who Boots Randolph was as a saxophone player. Yep. But I I loved all kinds of music. And I really loved, uh, I still love when I get them you know, finding something that still has real liner notes that you're not reading on your iPad. It's not the same.
3: No, it's really not. I second that. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said for the 12-inch square versus the 2-inch iPhone.
0: I know. I used to love, one of my favorite parts of making records was conceptualizing what I wanted my album cover to look like. When I did Musical Shapes in 1980, they sent me off to Paris to be photographed by Helmut Newton. They did a super yeah. sexy shot where I had on like leather pants and he had the light shining exactly on my ass. And I had to hold myself in a certain way. It was like <laughs> ridiculous. And I wanted the, I wanted a different cover. And so we set up something in my manager's kitchen area where we put musical shapes together. And Chalky Davis took a picture of me that just went with the music more. I turned down freaking Helmet Newton's picture for my album <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that's one of my best career choices because now I want to make a new album and I am going to put my Helmut Newton picture on there of when I was 22 years old.
4: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, so you've told so many great stories. You, as you guys can tell on the bus, we would have a hoot, especially if we had a day off the next day and we could just stay up and, and, and hee. But I can <laughs> remember several that I want to hear. How about the one of Christofferson when you were a kid?
0: The landing zone?
4: Yes, that one. This is a really good story.
0: How old were you? I was maybe close to 13. Okay. I think it was 69, maybe. No, I'm thinking it was like late 68. So I was probably had turned 13 by then. I was outside. For various reasons, probably wanting to know how I was going to make my allowance if I couldn't mow the yard anymore. And
4: you were living at the time.
0: In Hendersonville on the lake with mom and John. Mom and John had got married in, in March of 68. Things had gotten really different for us as kids. So this was a very unusual thing to happen is I don't know if it's happened to many people, but a helicopter landing in your backyard unbeknownst unknown where it's coming from or who's in it was pretty unusual in my neighborhood.
4: (laughs) Sure. I think it would be now.
0: (laughs) I ran to the house and I was like, mom, there's a, there's a helicopter in the backyard. She said, I thought I heard something, you know, in perfect June fashion. I said, and there's this really cute guy in leather pants and he's coming to the door. It was Chris Christopherson. He landed a helicopter there to bring John a cassette tape. I think it was a cassette. I don't even know we had cassettes yet. It was a tape. And it had me and Bobby McGee for the good times. The Devil to Pay, I think, was on there. And wow. Sunday morning coming down. Ooh. Oh, my. Jeez. And John was not home, but June was. So June became came the big advocate for Chris. With John, which was not necessarily the best thing for Chris, because anyone that was at it- all friendly with Jim, he was not going to like him. <laughs> really? Well, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. look, at, look at pictures of Chris Christopherson in 1968. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, go, well, yeah. She wants your wife hanging out with him. Probably those not. Pants. No. no,
4: probably not. He didn't
0: want his daughters hanging out with him. <laughs> Obviously. Mm. That was one. Tell me another one.
4: Well, the Redbone, the band, the Redbone. <gasps> uh, Red come Bone and get your and the love. The Booker
0: Story. Oh yeah. Yes, th-
4: this is a good one, guys.
0: Okay, so John had gone to Los John. When I say John, I'm talking about Big John Cash. I'll call him Big John's for you to know who I'm talking about. Big John and and Mom were brought us on the road with them to the Hilton in Las Vegas, the the big one that had the canary yellow shag carpet. It was wild. Elvis had been in there right before us and he had shot up the master bedroom, something terrible with a pistol. So we were late getting in and John was not happy about it at all. He was not in a good mood. But that night, after we finally got in the suite, which had like six bedrooms off of it, which all had mirrors. the bed. <laughs> So you can imagine these young girls going. We a mirror above the bed. What do we do with that? Uh, How's my hair look? You know, so Mm. we get there and uh, we see that Redbone are playing that night. So John's agent, Marty Klein, who was just a lovely man, he arranged for myself and Roseanne, my sister Roseanne Cash and my sister Rosie and I to go see Redbone that night. We ordered Shirley Temples in the ballroom or whatever you call it. That so red bone are on stage and we're watching them and we were so naive when we went backstage to meet them. We thought it was the best idea ever to invite them to come meet our folks. <laughs> <laughs> come on Ooh, up. Why meet not? our folks. <laughs> and how old were you then? Maybe 14. Okay. Maybe. Oh, yeah. But They're this is like up. back in False Eyelashes days. That's another story. I'll tell you about that later. And um anyway, so we go up there and here's Marty Klein with me and Roseanne and Rosie, and Redbone, and they're all at the door. and And John was not in the mood to see these guys with his girls. And <laughs> we like, Mom, we just met them. They're really nice. And Mom's like all being Junie, and she's like, "Come on in, boys. You know, come in. Let me see if I've got any iced tea in the fridge here." <laughs> you know? And John had this habit of he was smoking cigarettes back then still, and so he would take one cigarette. And he would puff the entire thing down to the nub in one puff if he was in a bad mood. It'd be just like, we <laughs> turn in nothing but ash and then he'd flick it somewhere. And he had this <laughs> other weird habit where when he was nervous, he would go like this a lot to his nose. He would scratch his nose or rub his nose. And, and so he's walking around and he's bad vibing these guys and they left pretty quick. It was, it was, they left really quick. But then us girls were left with John going, You are never leaving this suite again. You are never going to another concert again. You're grounded forever. We're like, We didn't do anything. (laughs) And John's rubbing that nose and rubbing that nose. And I go, But can I just say one more thing? And he goes, No, not one more thing. You're grounded. And I was going, No, just one more thing. Could you please not flick your boogers on my hand? (laughs) And on my hand, there's a booger
4: and <laughs> johnny's booger
2: that's a re- that's and a I reasonable request that is, is a, a reasonable
0: this is your booger and he looks at and goes, that's not my booger
4: <laughs> but
0: it was and mom was dying laughing you know no,
3: that's- did you have it cast in acrylic after that
0: right. <laughs> no i didn't i probably should have you know a lot some- things like that i probably should have <laughs>
4: yeah gosh no kidding i'm no kidding <laughs>
0: I, I only tell that to my close personal friends and now everyone that listens to y'all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Everybody.
0: yeah. <laughs> I may get some flack. <laughs> that's all
4: right. Oh, it's story. just a booger. No, that's a good It's story. just
0: a booger. That's yeah, not his yeah. booger anyway. Yeah. He didn't own it. I didn't it's expect a his Redbone to story, anybody's.
2: let alone one that led to a, a, a booger. Come you know, and so. get your love.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Wow. <laughs> So we, we typically will ask guests, like, what was the first concert, they, you know, the first concert they remember buying a ticket and going to and questions like that. So what were, the, what were the first concerts that you went to as a fan that, like, you were personally really excited about?
0: Elton John and Kiki D at okay. the Municipal Auditorium in Nashville. Nice. And I saw Kiki in a onesie, a long onesie thing. And I was like, I want to be her. I want to be her. And she was saying, "I got the music in me. I got the music." It was like, "Oh my God, I thought she was the coolest thing ever." And then many years later, I end up in a musical with her, where we play sisters, and she becomes my friend. And wow. Elton and Bernie were probably my, my biggest influences when I was actually trying to figure out how do you write a song.
3: Mm. Yeah. And you worked with Bernie, too, yeah.
0: Yeah. Bernie and I are great friends, love Bernie. Love love Elton, too. I just didn't hang out with Elton as much as Bernie. But if Kiki and I did that show for a year together. So I thank her for I learned so much from her. I learned about pacing myself vocally. I have to say probably because of Kiki, I hardly ever lose my voice.
3: Nice. Wow. Yeah,
0: she was great. And Bernie came to my dressing room in a poncho in London at the West End. And I thought that guy is cool. I mean he's cool. And then he then he then he really did the big number on me where he said, I know every word to your song easy from now on. And then he started quoting the words to my lyrics and I was freaking out because this is my big idol, lyrical idol. Yeah. And 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 I'm going to have dinner with them.
3: Yeah. Him and Elton.
0: And I was just like, oh my God. I was like, I never take any of that stuff for granted. No. It seems like good stuff happens to me. I'm just really good at infiltrating. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Timing, too. yeah.
0: Okay, the other one was Steppenwolf. I went to see Steppenwolf and within the same month, I got grounded after Steppenwolf. I was grounded a lot. <laughs> I got home at 10.30. I barely got out of there by the time they finished the show and went straight home and John was pacing around waiting for me. He never grounded me for A week he grounded me for three months at a time.
3: Wow. And so
0: yeah, so it was right after the Elton and, and Kiki show that I did go to see Steppenwolf. And then the day after I got grounded so badly, they showed up at our front gate at the security gate and wanted to come meet John and mom. And they're going John's going, oh, who's out there? Who said, step- John Kay. Oh, yeah. John yeah. K. Oh, They were in a limo. They show up at our house. And so Rosie and I, my little sister and I, are like peeping through the the windows, and we said That's Jeff Steppenwolf. Oh my God. You know, and I was going, Am I gonna get in more trouble? Did they did I <laughs> 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 And so John was pretty nice to them, but then my being grounded was kind of let up as a little bit uh, because he actually liked
4: them. Well, that worked out in your yeah, family. That worked out good. There you go.
0: Yes. It's part of what drove me out of the house early on as a child, but was yeah. the grounding conditions.
3: <laughs> part two of Andy's question um, Andy often asks the question, Who did you first see? Who were you first on stage with that made you say, oh, Holy shit, I'm standing beside. Someone special. Well, apart from dad,
0: I was standing in between (laughs) my Aunt Helen and my Aunt Nita. Yeah. And I was singing with them in between them, who were to me the best ever. And my leg was shaking so fast as I was singing Circle Be Unbroken. I'd never sang on stage. I don't think I'd ever even really sang out loud. To speak of that anyone had heard in my family. But all I know is that my voice was super loud. <laughs> and I was, wasn't that I was scared, I was so excited that yeah. my body was just going, oh. And it was the first time I felt like this is exactly who I am. Nice. I am in my body. I am me more right now than I might ever be. A
3: lovely answer. I love that answer. And how old were you then,
0: Carly? I was 16. Okay. Yeah. That was the first time that my voice actually came out. I'm not saying that I wasn't on stage before then. It was the first time I was allowed a microphone near me.
4: <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> when you're doing it and you're in it and you suddenly go, this is this is what I do. This is who I This is me. Yep. Sure. It's the most present that I am in my life ever except yep. maybe when holding a newborn baby or a grandchild or something like that. But for me on a basis of me as a one soul, not connected to anything else, I'm connected to that. And yep. that's when I know exactly who I am. And I don't, sure. and it's got nothing to do with I'm Carling Carter or I'm related to this person or any of that. It's just that this is what I do. You know it's what you do. Yeah. It's what, what I you. do. I don't know. I don't know anything else. To do It's um, I mean I can think of other things to do I can come up with all kinds of things
3: That's a good question Outside of I mean people like Ronnie Wood paint Paul McCartney paint And musicians often have other outlets And so on what, What's Carlene do after she's singing and recording Apart from Being a, a, a mom And doing all, all of the important things in life Do you have hobbies? Do you have interests?
0: Well I have animals I Ah. have dogs and I have three dogs right now and one of them is a puppy and he's a year old like this week and he has kicked my ass this last year so (laughs) I put a lot of love into that I love fixing my house up yeah I love my friends I love fishing nice horseback riding yeah good and I love gardening although I find it challenging having moved from California for many years moving back to Tennessee you would think I would remember how to garden in Tennessee better than I did because I did so much but yeah. living in California I got spoiled to the year-round roses
3: Yeah, I can't grow mm. a
0: damn rose to save my life here <laughs> I'm just always out there just talking to them, going I don't understand what's happening <laughs> I want you to grow for me you, want know? you grow, <laughs> you grow but mostly I think you know I, I have, I'm, I'm I'm thinking outside the box of my use of what I've done for years and years, which is just, I love going out and playing live. I'm having to think outside of the box. I'm having to think, okay, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make shows. I'm going to make shows that don't necessarily have to be on the road.
1: I would love them to be on
0: the road, but they don't necessarily have to be. Um yeah. I want I have ideas for like television shows. I watch a lot of TV. As mm. we go in the bunk, <laughs> there's a That's lot right. of friggin' streaming going on. <laughs> yeah. So I have I have ideas. I have an ambitious thing that I'm partaking in right now that I'm trying to write and get done that I think is gonna be really special. And it's kind of like instead of writing a book, I'm writing a show that is my book.
3: You would make a remarkable host. On a show too
0: Well, I would love to be a host I've done that before I've had a couple of television shows Where I was the host And and I'm actually quite good at it Yeah Obviously I give, I give good interviews Yeah <laughs> Definitely <laughs> Tell us about that You interviewed John Prine I did My most unique interview ever Was with John Prine He uh, he had done an album at our house When I was with Howie Epstein And Howie had produced The Missing Years album So Right I was record. hosting yeah. this show on the national network called national now. And I can't say that I was the most calm, sedated host they'd ever had. So they were a little <laughs> nervous about me because I wanted to do off the wall stuff. Yeah. And a lot of my stuff was Im- improvised. I had cue cards for certain things. Well, anyway, I decided to have John Prine on, but he couldn't make it because he was on tour. So I got a cardboard cut out of him. And I had him answer all the questions on a cassette player so that when I asked a question and pressed play, it he answered me while his his cardboard <laughs> cut out of him with a cigarette like this and his sunglasses was sitting there. The problem that happened to me, which I don't know if the Nashville Now people got it, but it it's one of my most beloved memories, is that everything got out of sequence because they didn't do cue cards for me on what the questions were in order. Of what they were playing back, so oh. I would say, "So what was that? Uh, uh, so what was that song about? Uh, you know, blah 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 blah." And John would go, "She was a she was a chunky woman," hit <laughs> 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 her in a bar. It was about he was talking about uh, she must be the biggest baby and somebody's biggest baby in the world or something like that. But John and I were great pals, and we even sang a song together on the tape. But I don't know that Nashville Now and the Nashville Network were quite ready for that. I did another show that I loved because I had this concept of doing a thing called Circle of Psalm, which was basically how all these different artists were related by their influences. And then they turned it into something called Crossroads. But it was Carlene's idea. And uh-huh. my show, I, I became difficult to work with because they wanted me to call up all my rock friends that didn't want to be on the national network at all. And they would say, call Bob Dylan. And I'm going, Bob Dylan's not going to come on here. Bob Dylan loves me. He's not coming on here. He, <laughs> he won't. I'm not calling Bob Dylan for this. We're waiting on, we're waiting for the Bob moment later. And yeah, uh, right. But I had like incredible groups of people that would come on and we would everyone would do their thing. And I had guest musicians, I had Albert Lee, I had Al Anderson. I had all kinds of different people just sitting in that were part of it. I had great songwriters and then we would just talk and and people would sing songs. And I thought it was brilliant. And I just couldn't, no offense to Mr. Tattashore, Fred Tattashore, who was the director of it. But I had met him while doing the Dinah Shore show in 1978, and he was the director on it. And he he just didn't quite understand exactly what I was trying to do. And trying to do that every on a weekly basis to connect mm-hmm. that many people together by their influences and be true to it mm-hmm. proved to be a little hard. It was pretty yeah. ambitious. Yeah. So I think that there's still a place for that. But I was having five and six people as guests.
4: Not just a couple. It's kind of legendary that when there'd be guests for John and June, that they'd have everybody have to sing for their supper. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you remember any of those? Oh
0: wow! I I want to say that probably my cl- closest encounters with people that I admire, and most people would go, "Wow, you met them." Were well, in our living room, and I just I think I was the luckiest kid on the planet. I didn't really realize who George Jones and Tammy Wynette were. Oh, until wow. I went to England. I had no idea. They were just George and Tammy and they were dressed up and she had a lot of hair and <laughs> I didn't know what to think. I mean, I loved hearing them sing and I did it. And, and Tammy Wynette had a very strange effect on my career early on because I was a production coordinator or, you know, production assistant on a TV show that she was on. It was called 50 years of country music and she couldn't sing. And they wanted somebody to do her camera stuff for her, but they wanted me to sing the whole song. And I happened to know the song it's called. So I make it on my own again. And because Tammy wasn't feeling good, I got to go out there and those producers liked me so much that they put me on as uh, put me on the, the show and I was the only wow. new person on it. And so that, but but sitting in that living room, I sat next to, I okay, Paul McCartney played my piano. It's upstairs, my tiki-tac piano. He played Lady Madonna on it. And <laughs> okay. it's like, that piano sounds like shit, but I keep that piano because Paul McCartney's got sure. this Paul McCartney finger, I bet there's fingerprints on it, I'm guessing. I bet I can get some DNA off that thing, but (laughs) those kind of things happen a lot. And it really had a lot to do with the fact that mom and John were so happy and so like thrilled about their lives and, and very creative at the time that they wanted everybody to do it. So that all these wonderful songwriters, Chris Christopherson and Red Lane and Vince Matthews and Mickey Newberry and Mm. Larry Gatlin, all these different guys were there as like fixtures. They weren't, wow. nobody knew who they were yet, Yeah. You know? Wow. And so I, that's what gave me the bug to want to be a songwriter. Also not to mention that mom told me that if I could just write one ring of fire, I too could have a lovely dining room set. And write um, <laughs> one song like just Ring Move of Fire. There. So I'm still working <laughs> on that. But it was, it was, just the most creative and beautiful thing that they brought to the community and the fellowship and the friendship that they had with all these people. But I, I met Eric Clapton when it was Derek and the dominoes. I met Joni Mitchell and James Taylor in the house. He's saying, I think he's saying fire and rain in our living room. You know, there was, you know, I was a kid part of it, but part of it, I would become a young woman and was writing songs. And then there was other people there and it would come my turn. So I wanted to do good. And Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney were there. And I had to sing a song I had written for John right after Paul McCartney. And wow. It was just like, you get chocolate, get thrown in the fire, but it served me so well because these people were so nice and yeah. so welcoming. That many years later, not many, but several years later, after I'd married Nick Lowe, we were in London and I had been really sick over some, I'd had a, a, a health issue. And the first thing I did was go to see Wings play and Nick, Rockpile were opening, Nick Lowe and Rockpile were opening for Wings. And mm. we're the Hammersmith audience and Paul and Nick says, this is my Mrs. Carleen Carter. And Paul goes, I remember you. You're the one who sings. And he kissed me on the cheek and I was healed. (laughs) Immediately healed. (laughs) So these are like, these things don't happen to everybody. And I, even to this day, I get goosebumps when I think about it. Ray Charles. I met Ray Charles. And later on in the day, I'm passing him in the hallway when I was doing this PA gig. And I say, hi, Mr. Charles. He goes, hi, Carlene. <laughs>
4: uh,
0: uh, he
3: knew me. You remember the sound of your voice? Wow.
0: Yes. Wow. He didn't check my wrist or anything.
3: So did Joni sing for her supper?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah. And I don't remember what she's saying, but I mean, you got to understand a little bit. There was a lot of awe going on where yeah. I was like, huh, huh. sure. I yeah. never heard anyone sing so breathy. And quiet and powerful all at the same time. Yeah, Mm. she's special. She's special. And Linda Ronstadt. (laughs) Wow. Really? Oh, my God. She didn't come to the house, but she's my favorite, and I loved her.
3: Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. What's not to love, eh? Yeah, exactly. You've been wonderful today. I really enjoyed meeting you. No kidding.
0: Thanks. I thank you guys for asking me.
4: I told
3: you guys this would be fun. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Awesome. For God's sake.
0: For God's sake. <laughs> you guys have been lovely.
4: Thank you. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been great to get I love you, you so much,
0: place. Jane Lee. Love you, sweetie. I love you so much. All right, sweetheart. Thank you so much. So nice to meet you. My Thank much. you so much. All the best, Belly. Thanks, Carly. All the best to y'all.